Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing The Deep by Rivers Solomon, Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant, and the Studio Ghibli movie Ponyo. And welcome to episode 74. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. I did not come up with the title. I did not come up with the title, and I was forced to be the one to say it. I came up with the title. Two out of three votes. I was outvoted by the sapphics. I'm Alex, and I if I had a mermaid tail, I would have a beta fish tail. I'm Freya, and I would have a lionfish tail. I'm Macy. And I would have a whale shark tail. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And I guess I already gave the game away by telling you that we're talking about mermaids today. So that's fun. Um, the general, uh, my general topic for this episode is fuck the sea. Uh, no, thank you, sir. We'll get into that a little bit later. And I'm pretty sure general topic is fuck the ladies who live in the sea. So... Correct. <laughs> yeah, we're going to say, like, fuck the sea has, as a phrase, very many meanings. Many meanings, and we're going to explore most of them. Uh, but before yep. we get into all of that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? Are we going to are we gonna probe their depths? Everybody just Macy? pause and appreciate the Macy pun. Macy? Hush. <laughs> Freya? What the fuck are you reading? <laughs> all right. So, speaking of the wet things, I have been... Well, I was about to say, Never. speaking of the ocean. Oh, no, it is the ocean. All right. I've been reading Piranesi, the new Susanna Clarke novel. Mm. So this was the first book she brought out after many, many years. Um, so she's obviously the author who's best known for Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Oh, okay. I was wondering. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Got Piranesi is a very different book to that. It's a lot shorter. It's very different in style and tone, but it's absolutely lovely. It is about... A young man called Piranesi, although that is not he thinks his real name, who lives in a world that is a giant house. And as far as he knows, the entire world is just the house, which has three different layers, and the ocean lives in the lowest layer of the house, and he can predict when the tides are going to come and flood the other halls of the house, which are inhabited mostly by giant statues. And there is at <laughs> least one other living person in the, in the world that is the house, possibly more. Alex, you will like this book a lot. It does a really interesting thing with the idea of found documents and mm. the whether you can rely on your own memory and whether you can rely on your own diaries and the f- and finding letters that have been ripped up and put together and maybe you wrote them but maybe you didn't. Mm. It's very twisty. I don't want to spoil much more than that because I think it's a book that you really mm. want to discover as you go along. It's dreamlike. It's interesting. It's really lovely. Definitely recommend nice. that. I love that for Alice yes. and me. But and you. Like, it's very, very um, uh, choir of lies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I yeah. Was, wasn't very far into it before. I was like, yes, Alex will love that this is a fucky document book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have also read the final book in Megan Whalen Turner's Thief series, Return of the <gasps> Thief. So that is a beautiful capstone on my heart. And now I have to go back and reread the whole series, possibly once a year. <laughs> I love them so much. 
unfair. Well, Megan Whalen Turner does this thing where she introduces you to amazing characters whom you love, and then she proceeds to do subsequent books introducing entirely new narrators. And you think, oh, but I want to spend more time with the other characters. And then within two chapters, you would totally die for the new narrator as well. <laughs> ah, so that was very satisfying. And lastly, I read Division Bells, a MM contemporary romance novella by Iona Dat Sharma, my friend and possibly the best writer in the entire universe, in my opinion. Mm. <laughs> Alex, mm. <laughs> she's very good. She's very good. I agree. <laughs> they are. They are very good. Yes. Oh, they are very good. Thank yes. you. And this is set just just a little way in the future. So it's contemporary, but it's set probably in about a few years from now. And it's a political process romance between a very cranky public <laughs> servant who is attempting to get a bill passed for his um, minister and the special advisor who is brought on board to give advice about the bill. Yes, Macy. Are there any trains? I'm fairly certain there are some trains. I think if I only yes. had their way, they would have made the entire thing about trains. But it's also about climate yes. change. Oh, I love that. Very but nice. it's got a wonderful, dry sense of humor. Everyone in it is immediately recognizably human and funny. If you like things like, um, you know, Veep and the West Wing and that kind of digging mm. into political process, along with a really lovely, bittersweet, but happy ending romance, I definitely recommend this. So it's called Division Bells. We love us a good bureaucracy. Oh, it's a bu- I, I, uh. bureaucracy romance. Just... Give me all the bureaucracy romances, and this is a great one. Yep, there we go. Three gifts for the scribes. Um, meanwhile, Macy has been... Um, what is time? Correct. Yes. Macy has not read anything, which is false, because I've read lots and lots and lots of things on AO3 mm. on my tablet. Yeah, and probably you have m- maybe read more than the rest of us, just in fitful. <laughs> I just go into this fugue state. I have probably read a good half million words since we last. I, I, I tried to, <laughs> what is time, I says to Macy? Add... I've only read half a million words. Well, but like, I can't remember what they were. Right, it's like thick, right? Like you read like 10,000 words of this and like 25,000 words of this and like 100,000 words of this other thing. And like, it's all in the same fandom. So it sort of blends together, right? Well, I wanted to talk about a few pieces that really jumped out for me. Yeah. Um, one of which was Shanna Storyteller Finished Lynchpin, which is the Jiang Cheng-centric Untamed Fix-It, uh, in which Jiang Cheng goes back in time. Ooh. Yes, another one of those. We've read another one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great. I love them. I love Jiang Cheng as a protagonist because I will be honest, I've read too much Wei Wuxian um, and I just need a break from his particular brand of it's not self-loathing, but it's self-uncaring. Mm, yeah, I, I tell you probably like... one reason why I don't read a lot of Untamed fanfic, because I think that's a very authentic Wei Wuxian voice, but I can't deal with it. Yes. I can't. <laughs> mm. And there's a lot of very good ones, mm. and they're great, but I've And sometimes it. you just want um, Angry Grape as your narrator. Angry Grape. Angry Grape. <laughs> we love an Angry now... Grape. Yes, we love us an Angry Grape. Um... Angry Whip Grape. Um, now, other than that, I've also been reading Please Miss Postman by Shameless Cooper, which is a Mian Mian point of view fic Ooh. about Mian Mian playing courier between Jin Zixuan and Jiang Yanli as they fail to have a romance and kind of falling for both of them. <gasps> and it's very sapphic and hot. Okay. 
And this sounds fun. Yeah, Freya. Yes, <laughs> come join me. It's so good. Um, and the other fic, the Combo Breaker, I went and read a Kingsman fic because I was researching mm. for the Patreon uh, rec set that they then didn't vote for this rec set, so I just read it for nothing. This was on our awful. Patreon, right? The Serpent Cast Patreon? Go support us on Patreon, dear listeners. Come support us. <laughs> I, You can have Macy rant about random recommendations once a month. Yes. Um, and this one is Care and Feeding by E. Summer, which is a Kingsman fic in which Eggsy ends up rescuing and adopting his baby sister, and I really love everything it does for, like, masculinity, particularly, like, working class chav masculinity, mm. but also caring. I think I've read this um, one. I think you have read this yeah. one, Alex. I think I linked it to you a while back. I really love Eggsy in this, um, and I strongly recommend all three of those fics. Uh, but the reason I haven't been reading book books is because I have finished and retitled and written synopses for the sequels mm? for my Yay. book which i guess is no longer called catalyst do you have a eh? new title for it yet I, we have several new titles for it Still sort one of, of which might stick sort of playing around i understand playing between um heretic craft Ooh. and a bargain forged all, because puns all of those are pretty good they're, yeah they're are both good, good. yes and maybe by the time this episode comes out, I will be on sub. Maybe not. We'll find out. Well, certainly by the time that this episode comes out. So this is the last episode that we're recording before the presidential election, dear listeners. So <laughs> if next episode we suddenly, our tone like super changes, that would be why. Uh, <laughs> well, next episode we'll also be recording in the hellish depths of NaNoWriMo. That's yes. correct. So the tone is going to be entertainingly like frazzled. Yeah. No matter what happens, it will be frazzled. Um, it's, I, I am already starting, starting being frazzled, dear listeners. I had a book come out this week, Finding Fairies. Uh, and so like my brain has been all over the place. I have not read anything except for fan fiction, really. Um, as Macy did, I'm still on Untamed. I'm still on Scumvillain. Uh, that's about it. Although I am also reading, uh, or rather rereading, Hero of the Ninth by Tamsin Weir, um, because uh, Macy needs me to annotate it for her. So I am annotating yes. it for a Macy. Get uh, you a friend who will. Yes, get you a friend who will so that Macy can read it. Uh, because it's a good book and I would like you to enjoy it. Much appreciated. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's uh, it. That's the show. That's it. <laughs> I think we should possibly talk about mermaids. Macy has an important announcement. All right, Macy. Macy has a pact. That she is speaking into existence. Okay. okay. This is going to be an episode of literary merit. We are going to interrogate the heck out of some mermaids and do some high quality radio. Sure. I'm determined. That's right. We're going to have... We're going to do some high quality radio. <laughs> we're going to be smart and erudite and we're going to probe those mermaids. Macy, you just put God, on a whole okay. lot of pressure that I was not feeling before. <laughs> and I haven't finished my coffee yet and it's not even nine in the morning. Yeah, we usually record this at like eight my time, um, which is what, like noon Freya's time? About, yeah, uh, like 11. Poor Freya. Yeah, and instead we're recording this at five my time, which is like eight o'clock in the morning for Freya. Poor, poor Freya. Poor Freya. Poor Freya. It's Sunday. What will happen to our normally collected Freya? Uh, but we have some lovely tentpoles. We have some lovely tentpoles, dear listeners, and I will start us out with Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant. My whole summary of this book 
is fuck the sea. <laughs> fuck the sea. Oh my god, this book was terrifying. This book is so good. This book is so it's so good. So so good. And it's also fucking terrifying. I was like live texting live blogging to people as i was reading i was like i am never going anywhere near the sea again i grew up on a sailboat dear listeners do we all remember that about me fuck the sea Uh, let me explain why i have such a highly negative reaction to fuck the sea um this book is about the second expedition to go prove the existence of mermaids and it was funded by an entertainment company called imagine uh they sent to the first uh exploration ship out to go find these mermaids and to like document the entire thing and they were going to make a documentary afterwards it was like a mockumentary they didn't actually expect to find the mermaids Right, it was like the search for the bigfoot. search for yeah. bigfoot right except then they found the mermaids and the mermaids were fucking <laughs> terrifying they live way down ate them all they and they all got eaten right and so (laughs) like what 10 seven years later like they send the second expedition and more terrifying things happen and i'm not going to spoil any of it for you but (sighs) fuck the sea (laughs) (laughs) i predicted the ending did you what what about the, the ending? The the gender yeah, thing? Yeah, the anglerfish thing. I did not. Oh, know. I was like I was like, oh, it's probably like anglerfish, and it turned out that it was actually like anglerfish. But they're like amphibian mermaids with eel tails and like deadly toxins in their hair. Yeah, yeah the, the horror the horror writing in this is just amazingly good. Like the descriptions of the mermaids are so visceral mm. and you know, Mira Grant does an amazing job of making you quite attached to a fairly large cast of characters. Yes. Like you can't get very deep into anybody's point of view. But interesting, I was tossing up with myself whether I what I thought about the pacing of the beginning. Because mm. the first time I was I read it, I think I was I didn't even notice. I was just like, yeah, this is great. I like I like meeting all these people. This time around, I was like, mm, could have started this maybe a hundred pages in. Yeah, but I think. I enjoyed having, it. No, having had that time with all the characters before they set right. off on the expedition means that when the action and pace really picks up and it's just go, 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 the emotional hit yeah. of what they're thinking and feeling and or dying yeah. <laughs> really lands quite, quite, quite well. And the tension of some of the very tense scenes, including the one that led Alex to first scream, fuck the sea, yep. fuck uh, is just really impeccably well done. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> has her the way her that face. she does tension and sus- suspense is so good. And she also completely understands the idea that the most terrifying thing that you can possibly do is to not show the monster to your audience. Mm. Yes. Uh, because the right. second that you actually show, like when we actually started seeing the mermaids and interacting directly with the mermaids, that was when it got less scary for me. And it became much more of like an action adventure kind of thing rather than horror for me, for me personally. I don't know. I think for me, it, that was when it kind of made the transition from mystery horror into like zombie mm. apocalypse. Mm. Like I know what they are, but they're all around and they're going to kill me because they're stronger right. than mm. me. And, and, we, and we're never quite sure, even once we've seen them once, what they're capable of and what they right. want. Yeah. Like they, they, <laughs> are, they are alien enough that their motives beyond, is this just, we want to eat you? Or anyway, and when it starts to come out that maybe they can communicate you know what what is what is their actual motive and, and if that's kept obscure it's it's quite terrifying yeah and then also to get the perspective from the dolphins 
um where like they have a completely different like perspective on the mermaids and opinion of the mermaids um and that like because i was starting to tip over to like oh maybe the mermaids like aren't so terrifying after all and then the dolphins were like oh no like these things are like fucking bad times and i was like oh shit yeah we know all about these things yeah Uh, and we like ran away into captivity to get away from them rather than be in the deep with them Uh, yep but I do think that that's an interesting question when you are adding mermaids to a story, when you particularly I think in horror mermaids, how sentient, how human do you want them to be? Because mm. I think we never communicated enough to really know. Mm. And it's a question that the book itself is very interested in asking because mm-hmm. most of the characters are scientists. Yeah. Right. And they are coming at this from a point of view of yes, this is terrifying, but I am driven by this urge to discover more and to answer my mm-hmm. questions and how do they communicate and why and what is their biology and how does it work and how human, how sentient are these creatures? And it's the question that any mermaid book has to answer and this book gets around it by saying, well, the question of what they are is the driving motive of the characters. And they don't they don't achieve that. They don't get that yeah. answer. No, they get, they get a few a steps towards answer. it, but they don't get to the end. Right. Because Shannon is just so good at she's science. so good at yeah. science, and she knows so much about like animals and and creatures, mm. um, and also like let's talk about what a good setting the ocean is for a horror novel because it's like the last place that's completely unexplored on Earth, and like we don't know what's down there. Fucking anything could be down it there. It could be, it could be, moments. Like, have you this seen what I, I put in the the dot points? Is that you know the ocean is underhill? Mm. Yeah, right? it's the last remaining bastion of fairy. Because we just don't know. It could be anything. It's weird, like, fucky, non-oxygenated life forms that live on vents that don't photosynthesize. Hmm. Like, what is this And there's these things with falls. too many teeth. Yeah, whale like, falls. <laughs> everything has too many teeth all everything of the time. Including Their the mermaids have in teeth this book. Behind them. Their teeth have teeth. <laughs> there's a really good theme of it that this is not our place. And, any, yeah. and anything that we, if we go down there, it's not our place. We are asking to be killed as invaders or anything that right. we dredge up for our own exploration and our own investigation could also kill us. Like one of the most dramatic scenes in the book is actually not somebody yes. being killed by a mermaid, but right. people being killed by toxins and unfamiliar bacteria and things that mm. are from the deep that are completely unfamiliar to our own biology. Yes. And not only that, like the ocean itself is just completely inhospitable to to human life. Like there's also a very thrilling scene where uh, one of the point of view characters falls off the, falls overboard. Mm. And I was like, I was like, oh, you're just dead. You're just dead. If you fall overboard in the middle of the ocean, like, fuck the sea. (laughs) Fuck it. Can we move on to a different kind of yeah, fuck the sea? <laughs> let's, let's move on to the next the next piece of fuck the sea, which is the novella The Deep by Rivers Solomon, which was a collaboration with Clipping and David Diggs and his band, um, and mm-hmm. is a book about an undersea civilization born of the children born from pregnant slave women who were thrown overboard during the triangle trade and the... Um, the genocide of, of Africa. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, big time fuck the mm. sea. 
Yeah, but also there's the, the aspect of fuck the sea in the, the kind of sexy way, too, because you have the connection between uh, Yetu and... Uri? Uri, yes, Uri. So so I guess the story of this novella is the story of a young um, and hypersensitive... I guess mermaid isn't the name they use for themselves, but... Um, it's a wajinru. Yes, we would look at them and see a mermaid. But yes, the, the wajinru. Yeah. Um, and she is the memory keeper for her people. So um, most Wajinru do not remember much from day to day outside of themselves and their relationships. And she is tasked with holding on to kind of the ancestral memory. And it is devastatingly painful for her. And so a short way into the book, she basically ends up sharing it with the rest of her people, as they do once a year, and running away. And not taking it back into and herself. not taking it back. Leaving them to confront. And yes. it kind of made me think a little bit of sea as sanctuary. And mm. also thinking mm. of um, the escaped uh, slave civilizations along with Native Americans that were in the swamps around D.C. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and just like the ways in which oppressed people seek out obscured and hidden places to be safe right to guard themselves and that the sea kind mm. of embraced them um there's a degree of magic in this world in that the sea is sort of a god that transformed them to be able to be these wajinru um like it was not this is not a science fiction book this is a fantasy book i was i was on a panel um a couple years ago about the sea um and one of the other panelists and i were talking about how like um the sea is often seen as um like something that uh, separates us from one another um and that is like very dangerous and and so forth and one of the other panelists who uh i believe was a, a filipino woman pointed out that that's actually a, like a very white and western kind of concept of what the sea is because for a lot of other peoples in the world the sea has been something that is more about connection and like safety and like taking you within itself to like protect you and that's what this book is doing well it's it's not even really a white and western thing it's a, a more modern like divorced from the natural world kind of thing it, well, because if you go back to like too. the 1800s you go back to the 1600s and you look at the mediterranean as a road right you go all the way back to you know 1177 and the bronze age civilization across the mediterranean and you're looking at um, goods transport being a thing that happens primarily in the oceans, that happens along the Red Sea and the Arabian uh, Gulf and all around Greece and up and down the coastline of Africa. Um, there's a great nonfiction tome that I slowly pick my way through called The Sea and Civilization mm. that has all of these fascinating little details about the ways in which we should, you're right, Alex, kind of reverse the way we look at the world map and look at oceans as the connectors and land as the isolators, mm -hmm. even rivers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's this great sense in all human story and narrative and myth that the ocean is so big mm -hmm. and it takes up so much of the world. Now that we know how much of the world it takes up, then there should be something there. Yeah. Like and you know, Atlantis, the, the buried city. There should be civilization under the sea. There should be life in the sea. It's like our urge that we think there should be life on other planets or elsewhere mm -hmm. in the universe. There's this great unknown and we want there to be something understandable and communicatable, I guess, that's in there that we can discover. Fun facts Atlantis Corner. 
Okay, please. Yes, 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 please. (laughs) Well, um, there's some um, speculation that Atlantis and the myths around Atlantis is actually about the fall of the Minoan civilization Mm. on one of, I don't think it was, it wasn't Crete, but it was one of the islands in the Mediterranean. There is also some evidence that the collapse of the Bronze Age civilization um, in, you know, 1177 BC was around this massive eruption of a volcano on the island of that civilization Mm. that, you know, blacked out the sky, caused crops to fail, caused people to flee because their crops were failing, caused all of these attacks around the world. And, you know, have an apocalypse. Yes. But getting back to the temple. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so when I was reading this, I had big the ones who walk away from Omelas vibes from oh, absolutely. Yetu because mm. like the ones who walk away from Omelas, as dear listeners who have been with us forever know, um, is a story about is a utopia possible if one person in the utopia is living in ultimate suffering? And that is Yetu at the beginning of the book because she is like living with the weight of all of these ancestral memories and she is experiencing that pain every single day and that grief. And she has no way to to process it or mm-hmm. to um, release it. She It's her job to keep it. And she, she's living with the memory of dying every time that one of them has died, yep. right? And she doesn't know what the consequences would be of the entire community sharing in that memory. But she knows that she is no longer capable of handling it all herself. Right. Like, she is, she's always thought that it's unfair, but this is – we see her. And it's an interesting place to start the book. We meet her in the moment of her deciding that it's too much. Mm. That she cannot bear this all herself anymore. Well, we meet her in the aftermath of a failed suicide attempt. Right. Mm-hmm. She cut herself to bleed and then basically threw herself into a shark frenzy yep. area. And if her mother hadn't found her and dragged her out, like that is one way to give up the burden, right? Mm. Yeah. And it's an, it's, an, it's an absolutely bleak novella in many mm. ways because it is 100% about the weight of intergenerational trauma. Right. Yes. Like it, it just it just solidifies it and makes it into uh, something that actually has a psychic weight. And I, that's why I think the ocean is an amazing place to set this as well, because you get this great sense of darkness and weight yeah. and vastness in the setting that also is the darkness and the vastness of the trauma memory uh, that Yetu is carrying. Like, it's just so evocative. Yeah. But I also wanted to talk about the um, the kind of lighter stuff in this novella as well, because there is this great communion between the two characters who are kind of romantically involved right? Like Yetu and the human Uri, um, who is also like the last of her people who is dealing with generational trauma in a very Mm. different way. But there's this connection between them that's kind of cemented by curiosity and a will to understand one another that I think is a great example of the sort of human mermaid romance that we sometimes see. Uh, It made me think a little bit of Ondrakon. Yeah. um, Right? The interspecies romance. But it's for me, Human Mermaid is a little bit different from just monster fucker romance in general, mm-hmm. because there's this kind of um, divide of worlds, right? Like, unless we're talking about the type of mermaid who can turn into a human and split her legs and feel like she's walking on knives, because suffering is beauty. Um, <laughs> unless we're talking about Disney um, or Hans Christian Andersen, they can't quite be each other's 
be in each other's worlds in the same way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like as a as a relationship, it is very much about um, some differences cannot be overcome, or if they can, like what what are the compromises that you reach if one person is actually incapable of experiencing the other person's world, which in a narrative about trauma I think works very well because neither of the two people. Uh, Uri or Yetu can quite understand Mm -hmm. where the other person is coming from. Right, because you have Yetu who is completely traumatized by the sheer weight of knowledge that she's been asked to carry, and then you have Uri who has no knowledge and is devastated by that. Right, and Uri is constantly asking, like, how can you not want a history? How can you not want to have your story? Um, And I think both of them, like, have really understandable and, like, valid experiences and wants with um with what they're going through because like for one thing to know what your people have been through and like the pain that they have suffered is a huge huge weight to carry but on the other hand like for Ori like she wants to know where she comes from and she wants that connection to the people who have come before her Mm, the character of Ori reminded me a lot of one of the characters in Charlie Jane and as the city in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. which I read for the Hugo episode who is also the last of her people and is frantically trying to track down anybody who is essentially an anthropologist mm. who studied her people because even though their knowledge is external, she's trying to reconcile what memories she has mm. with things that she would not have, that she had not been told yet because she wasn't old enough. Mm. And so she's trying to synthesize a sense of herself as part of these people who are now gone. Right. But Freya, you were talking earlier about trying to become part of someone else's world. Yes. What a beautiful segue to our final tentpole. So in a dramatic change of tone, (laughs) the last tentpole (laughs) is the wonderful Studio Ghibli movie Ponyo, (laughs) which is an adaptation of Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid. So Ponyo is a movie about... Okay, a wizard scientist who yep. fucked the sea. <laughs> yep, fuck the sea. <laughs> so indeed. Fujimoto, the wizard scientist, fucked the sea and had a whole lot of daughters who are basically not entirely fish. They're definitely not human, but they are more magical than everyday fish. And one of these, Ponyo, escapes from the ocean and is rescued by a little boy. And he calls her Ponyo and is like, yes, I have a little goldfish of my own. Uh, when her father comes to take her back because she doesn't belong in the human world, she belongs under the sea with the rest of her yep. sisters. Uh, she is determined to return to this little boy, Sosuke, and his family because uh, she experienced what it was like to see new things and to be loved for herself rather than just being mm-hmm. one of a large school of fish. And the movie Which is, is about- mood. Yeah, and she uses some of her father's magic to turn herself sort of into a human girl uh, and, and go back to like them. sort of with, like, goose feet sometimes? Yeah, like, depend- she, she's more or less human depending on how much magic she's using to do yeah. other things. Uh, and Love that. I didn't really know what to expect from this movie. All I knew about it when I watched it was that it was a Little Mermaid story. Mm-hmm. And it actually does some really beautiful things visually with this idea of a huge wave that, and a storm that floods most of a village. And I was like, this is actually extremely yeah. stressful. Like the thing with yeah. them driving up the hill, being chased by the waves. I was like, this is a very scary film. It was but it's very these- like tsunami anxiety. Uh-huh. There's a character in it. There's that, that old lady at the, the nursing home who's like constantly freaked out about like, oh no, there's a tsunami coming. And you're right, actually, there was. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong, old lady, you're not wrong. 
<laughs> yeah, but no, I never, I never knew what to expect, and it kept going around corners mm-hmm. that surprised me. Yeah, while being visually really beautiful, it reminded me a little bit of the Disney Fantasia. Oh yeah, I see that with all the fish and the kind of almost visuals. a ballet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like it's like using using animation to do a ballet with beautiful music because mm, it had these beautiful. big set pieces that were kind of uh-huh. loosely joined together. But you wouldn't really have been able to predict any of the narrative based on the narrative that came before. Like, yeah. It's a very different style of storytelling. Yeah. I watched this immediately after reading Into the Drowning Deep and the whiplash was just <laughs> incredible. Uh, yeah. I went I went from like deep sea, fuck the sea, fuck the sea to like, oh, here's like a soft and beautiful Studio Ghibli yeah. film about the sea mm. and pretty fish. And given that it's... And given that it's about children, yeah. like it's literally about you know, five-year-old kids who behave very much like kids. Like kids yeah. It's not about, oh, I've fallen in love with this man and I have to go and be with him. Or, or even I've fallen in love with the human world. It was, this person has been kind to me yep. and I want to be kind back and I want to live in a, a small, close-knit family that is built on kindness. Like I love the illustration of the family of Sasuke and Lisa and all of their little rituals that they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's, Ghibli has this depth to children's films Mm. that Disney just doesn't. Yep. Right. Like Dreamwith maybe sometimes gets there. Disney almost. You said Dreamworks. You said Dreamwith. (laughs) Dreamwith. Yeah. Dreamworks sometimes gets there. Um, But it's a soft kids movie, but it's also uh, about pollution um, mm-hmm. and it's about accepting death there's this moment where the I believe I can't remember which way round this exchange goes but it's between kind of um, Ponyo's mother the sea goddess of sorts and her wizard dad saying you know if this fails if we don't manage to turn her back into a human and if we don't manage to take the magic away if she's not loved back she'll turn into sea foam and the other parent saying of their child that, but isn't it a kind of a beautiful thing for her to try, mm-hmm. right? And it's this very like shikataganai. Um, there's you know you you do what you do and you try to live the best that you can while you're there. Attitude. Yeah. Um, mm. So just because it's kids, it's not shallow in any way. I really was. I really enjoyed this film. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely has the the sense that like. Like, the the thing that ties these three together is just, like, the idea that the ocean is so much bigger and more powerful than you are, right? And, like, mm. like that's kind of the scary antagonist in this film is, like, the ocean, the storm. Like, the, the world kind of getting out of control and, like, the moon being pulled down and, like, everything might be destroyed. And, like, it's the idea that, like, okay, well, yeah, humanity might be wiped out, but, like, the world's going to keep going on and it won't much notice whether or not you're here. <laughs> um but yes such a beautiful movie yeah and it's it's it it does the thing that the little mermaid narrative does which is that complete completely transforming yourself for someone else is only worth it if they love you entirely Mm. which you can argue about whether or not you agree with that as a moral narrative (laughs) for for a story (laughs) um you know i think in disney's little mermaid it works because she's it's not just about the man like she wants to be part of this I want new to be where world. The people are. Mm-hmm. She wants to explore it, and he is part of that, but he's not the only thing. Right. And in this one, I think it works because of the innocence of it. 
Mm. It is about this boy and about his family and about the kindness there. But she also discovers joy in ham sandwiches and (laughs) other things. And she can only, she's only allowed to transform herself entirely if she gives up her magic. Right. And if she is loved. And that's not necessarily to say, you know, oh, you have to choose one. But it's more about her parents want to be sure that they are putting her in a family where she will be taken care of. They, it, they will only place her somewhere where they are sure that she will be loved in return. It made me think a little bit about the way that the live-action Maleficent movie transformed Love's mm. True Kiss. Mm. Yes. Yes. To be maternal. Yeah, and there's, you know, like, there's a very sweet little, like, you know, kiss in this one, but it's it's kids. It's these right. people are, they love one another in the way that children love one another. Mm-hmm. So moving on to more general talks about mermaids, I have sort of like a lead-in question uh, as we talk about the mermaid mythos. Um, Which of these tentpoles is most likely to be our fanfic tentpole? Because all of them, to some extent, are transformative works of the core mermaid mythos, are they not? (laughs) Well, I would disagree that that, um, that, uh, the drowning deep is i think drowning deep is an original mm. yeah it's its own thing take. it's its own thing mm. but the other two are well ponyo is the, a direct transformative work of an existing work mm-hmm. i think the deep is a transformative work of the well okay i need i don't know enough about the order in which the song and the novella so so it was the it, first there was another musical tradition right and then the song came from that yep there was another then... band uh, it's written in the afterword there's actually like a one, wonderful afterword at the end of the deep which like explains the whole kind of genealogy of it and there was another band that had this album and then clipping um made the song the deep and then river solomon um wrote the novella based on it um, so I would, I think that that one is the most fanfic tentpole of all three because it's the most deliberately intending to be engaging with the source material in a transformative work kind of way. But it's also the one where the vast majority of people who read it would not have experienced the original work that, or the original idea that it is transforming. Whereas I think obviously you, you watch Ponyo in conversation with your own idea of the Little Mermaid story. And in conversation with a lot of music that I was very annoyed about not being able to figure out what exactly they had stolen. It was right of the Valkyries. It was right of the Valkyries, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the music, my God, I had the credit song to Ponyo stuck in my head for like four days. Ponyo, 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 Ponyo. Uh, <laughs> okay. I am casting a fishing hook into both of you and reeling us back onto the topic because we God. are, gosh darn it, going to taxonomize some mermaids. All right, let's are do we it. really? Yes. All so right. somebody wrote this dot point. Who wants to claim our three types of mermaids that they put here? I put that one there because I think I put mermaids versus sirens versus selkies. <laughs> because I think mermaids are definitely different to the other two, but they are often sort of wrapped together when you're thinking about sea-based, usually female, figures of humanoid mystery. I feel like mermaids and sirens are sometimes smushed together, but sirens don't have to actually be living underwater. They don't have to have fish tails. Correct. No, no. They are, you know, mysterious female figures that may or may not be luring men to their doom. Right. Whereas selkies are their own separate thing. Yes, but they they have the most in common with this whole idea of half- half woman half creature of the deep well n- no because they are more in common with almost a werewolf 
Mm. Right? They have a full transformation and a Selkie could spend her whole life as a seal if she wanted to. Or her whole life as a woman if she wanted to. Or generally if she didn't want to. The way that those stories go. Yeah, because mm. a Selkie can transform. A Selkie can like remove her seal skin coat and then uh, like hide it on the beach and then a man comes along and steals it away because fuck men. Um, fuck men and fuck <laughs> the sea. Uh, <laughs> whereas well, whereas a mermaid, mermaid's choice of transformation is usually their own choice. Mm. Yes. That's true. And sirens are almost always the most... Um, Murdery? Murdery. Yeah, I was looking for a word that meant murdery, and murdery is a good one. That's <laughs> fine. Yes. But I like these, and I wanted to talk a little bit about one of my favorite topics Ooh. of writing stuff, which is these freshwater water fae. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. I love freshwater fish ladies, or fish men, or the worst um, freshwater dude, who I will talk about in a moment. But... Kelpies. Will you grant me Kelpies? Uh, I don't know. Kelpies mm. are horses. Yeah. But they are like a water horse. They are yeah, water they are, horses. They, look, they're a water-based fae, but I think water-based fae is too wide a net. Well, but if when you're we're going talking to mermaids, give me... You've got to have something a little bit fishy. <laughs> they are part selkie mythos and part siren mythos they are a fully transformed water animal that turns into a human they are someone Do who lures men to them yes they can oh. transform into a beautiful young man alex i didn't know this i'm suddenly much more interested in kelpies can <laughs> <laughs> i fuck the kelpie i thought they were yes, just like alex, horses you may fuck the all the time no, i didn't know that you um, could fuck did the you kelpie not read tithe you've read tithe tithe by who holly black I haven't read it. Ooh, you, should I go read it? Kelpie, Does it have a beautiful voice. Kelpie voice? Yeah, I think because in, in my mind, I know that they can sometimes be young men, but in my mind, they are usually a beautiful horse. Yeah. And the seductive right. thing is like, don't you want to ride the beautiful horse? Sometimes they are a beautiful black horse that is surreptitiously dripping and possibly has waterweed for hair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't ride yeah. wet horses. They just don't yeah. ride wet horses. Um, but no, in other versions of the mythos, they transform into a beautiful young man who will lure you back to his pool, drown and you, and eat you. ride the Kelpie. Hey, um, <laughs> I felt like we needed some gentlemen. Then Rusalkas. Okay, Rusalkas. Mm. Yes. Um, Russian and yeah. Slavic kind of river and lake spirits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're very murdery. They're very quite murdery. They're quite murdery. Mm. I, like I put one. them in the siren box. That's fair. I would grant that. And then the worst. The worst, I love them, mm -hmm. um, Czech water spirit is Vodjanoi, who I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong, who no, you said is it right. a naked, skinny old man with the face of a frog. Mm -hmm. Charming. Who lures people, drowns them, and then stores their soul in receptacles, frequently teapots, that he collects. Lures That's very how? good. I have no idea because he's a naked old man. A naked old yeah, man, naked with, old a man frog with the face, face of a frog. I, I think you have to have very specific things. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, maybe he's like, "Do you want to come see my cool teapot collection?" Teapot collection. And, pe and who yeah. wouldn't? Who wouldn't say to like, a naked old who man? Would say no to that. With I a mean, if he has a, I mean, if he has a cool teapot collection, like you okay. want to go see well, the teapots, right? <laughs> Alex never learned stranger danger because Alex was raised <laughs> on a boat. Um, <laughs> A man drives by in a white van and says, do you want to see some teapots? You say, thanks, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I maintain that there's a bunch, there's just so much variance in what it means to be a mermaid. Like, if somebody is a werewolf, you know what that means, right? Lots of dog jokes. Well, we've never done a werewolf episode, so I can't tell you. <laughs> 
could like move on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unfounded opinion, yeah. Like yes, vampires. Yes, yes. There's a lot of bullshit, but there's a few commonalities. But yeah. mermaids could be almost anything, right? They could yeah. be their own species, or they could be related to humans. They could be magical or scientific. They could be fish, or they could be mammals, or they could be weird ass saltwater amphibian eel things. Shannon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why? Shannon is yeah. valid. Shannon is doing a great job. It's because Shannon loves amphibians, that's why. But it depends on the story you're telling. Mm, like, sure. Are you doing okay. are you doing danger story? Mm. This thing is dangerous and could kill you, especially if you try and fuck it. <laughs> or are you doing the mermaid as point of view character? Sure. In which case is it a story about thirst for the other is mm. it about you know alienation curiosity about a new world is it about alienation is it about a relationship with someone where you can't understand their background mm. like there's a lot of things that you can use that sort of character to tell the story of that's true that's true and i was thinking about this i was talking about this with with my girlfriend the other day about like if i was going to write a mermaid story I would want to write a story that was like all mermaids and then I'd have to get into like, do they have cities? How do they do agriculture? Build a whole mm. civilization? I'm like, that's just a lot of work. Tell or farm. you could just like not bother with that, which is what I did when I wrote a mermaid story. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I did the mermaid tourism industry. Yeah. Uh, amazing. <laughs> I think that um, a lot of mermaid stories, another thing is about, you know, boundaries and um, mm-hmm. borderlands. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, and like so, crossing from one place to another. Right. Because I think I asked this question in the next bullet point. Like, do mermaid stories have to feature transformation? No, because Into the Drowning Deep right. doesn't. Mm. But Into the Drowning Deep, the the drive of that, the motive is scientific curiosity. Mm-hmm. It is not about wanting to transform. Everyone in it respects the sea and feels the tug of the sea and mm. wants to explore it. But it's not about wanting to belong. Whereas because of the influence of the Little Mermaid, Mm. I think most stories that are told from a mermaid character perspective are about what do I want? My want is to see the world. It's to go out. Like It is a very, in its heart, a very Disney idea because lots of Disney films have that, you know, first act, what do I want? I want more. Mm-hmm. I want to discover more. I want to discover about myself by discovering the grand world. You know, I, I want I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. Like that is the Disney thesis. It's, it's a very yeah. young adult it um, is. motif. Uh, it's it's making me think of Moana as well, right? Yeah, like, yeah. No, mm-hmm. mermaids are super YA because they're about finding your place in the community and questioning in the broader your world. place. Yeah. But yeah, I think I would argue that in general, a mermaid story is either focusing on transformation or on that Borderlands. And Alex, you said you've been reading a lot of scum villain uh, fic. It made me yes. think a little bit about like the merging of the worlds and the demon Borderlands, mm-hmm. where there's just these two completely different species who don't really get each other trying to interact. And that made me think of Into the Deep, you know? You're, you're mm. doing this, this hand gesture for interact, and I'm just thinking of dick jokes. <laughs> If your dick does this, you have other problems. If they're trying to interact. <laughs> if your dick is interleaving with five other smaller this dicks. Tentacles! <laughs> they are tentacles! Oh, yes, I'm sorry. That's tentacle fucking. Of course. Do, my mistake. Do you remember at the beginning of the episode when Macy was like, let's make good radio. And here we are making bad radio because it relies on hand gestures that the scribes cannot possibly make sense of. Darling listeners, when you were a child... 
Did you ever hear the rhyme of the, here's the church and here's Here the, steeple. the steeple. Open yeah. your hands and here are the people. Where you not- Wait, what did you just do yeah. there? You church, church steeple. Here's the steeple. Like this. And there's like that trail. <laughs> this is terrible radio. <laughs> you say, like, I'm just like the thing where you do that and then you interleave them the other way. <laughs> no, so you go like, like this. Here are all the people. And okay. then... Listeners, like, like this. For those of you who cannot see our brilliant radio presentation right now, we're talking about interleaving your fingers. I think probably most of you are familiar with the concept of interleaving your fucking fingers. You may now make tentacle dick gestures to yourself in the grocery store, and we are going to move on with right. this fucking episode. I would like to nominate a third type of story that you okay, can use mermaids to tell. And that is if you want to tell a fantasy story that is set entirely around world-building cool shit in the deep. Hmm. In which hmm. case like you a second don't have world. to have transformation because they're part of this world that you want to explore. And you don't have to do the borderlands because you don't have to involve humans at all. But You just want to is... explore how weird the ocean is. Yeah, so if you want to come up with an undersea hmm. civilization or do some fun world-building around how mermaids might actually work or exist, hmm. but you want a human humanoid figure to be your narrators then that's what you can do and that's sort of what my um yeah my short story was. let's talk it was about just like that. i want to write about mermaids that aren't actually very interested in becoming people okay <laughs> just because you wanted to kind of play with uh, a development of a type of creature right like what yeah it like I wanted, and i had like fun that. developing the magic that these creatures might have and then i had to change a whole lot of it in edits because one of my editors was a fish biologist <laughs> And left huge amounts of comments being like, this is biologically incorrect. And instead of having a fight about the fact that it was a fantasy creature, I just changed everything. <laughs> Whereas, um, so this is Freya's short story, which is still out, you know, trying to find a home. No, no, it has a home. It has a home. So this is a short story called Eat, Pray, Comma, Love. <laughs> Pray spelled P-R-E-Y. <laughs> because I am not the only punster on this podcast. I will have you know. It's oh yeah, I came up with the I came up with the title like almost as soon as I came up with the story idea. <laughs> and so where is it, it going to be? Pardon? Where does it live? Um, it is in a short story anthology called Unnatural Order, which Ooh. was meant to be launched at Worldcon. Ah, uh, so it has now the launch of it has now been delayed. <laughs> we will tell our darling listeners when it does. When it when it comes out, I will let you know. And Macy, you also had a cool story, right? Well, I have one that is still trying to find a home. That's um. A baby lesbian Kelpie, which is kind of mm. thus a reverse mermaid because she's wandering around living her normal human life. But every now and then she has to transform into this kind of underwater creature and eat people. Mm -hmm. As you mm -hmm. do. As you do. As you do. Um, and again, it's kind of about that, like, it's hard to be a teenager and also carnivorous. Yeah. See, that sounds like that sounds like a werewolf story in theme. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind once of. a month, you just got to turn into something that wants to kill a few people, and it's very yeah. inconvenient. But it's about and it's about being a monster and thinking that you're a monster, and then looking around and realizing that like your physical needs do not make you monstrous. It's mm. what you do with them and what other people do with theirs that makes or doesn't a monster. And you also have that poem about the very small fish that you wrote for me, which I is did. a little bit mermaid, isn't it? And so is the one that's out with Uncanny, Saltwashed, which is about Ooh. turning into a weird blob jellyfish thing and being forcibly hoiked back out by your long-suffering girlfriend. <laughs> You're just very good at, like, 
fucky ocean bullshit. Yeah. Fucky ocean bullshit. <laughs> I yeah, love the very sea. Macy theme. I love it. I love the sea. And I was being sad a little bit because I'm like, I don't have any books about the sea. And then I'm remembering that like the whole rest of Catalyst sequels is about an island. Yeah. Whereas I... Yeah. You'd think I would be into the sea, being Australian, but I've had at least two very painful experiences with jellyfish in my childhood, so fuck the sea, honestly. I mean, Australia's a continent. Australia's bloody huge. Like, you're not anywhere near the sea. I mean, live near the sea. Yeah. Fuck the sea. And and you would expect that I would write more about the sea, considering that I literally grew up on a sailboat until I was ten, but fuck the sea. Um, I... I I'm going to write about pirates for NaNoWriMo yes. and there is some like weird fucky sea bullshit that happens in there there's like bioluminescent sea serpents and so forth but before we finish we wanted to take an opportunity to talk about one of our most important topics namely seamen god okay <laughs> look we made we made a vagina joke as the title of the episode yep <laughs> I just what it's great fun from this end darling listeners it's great fun from this end because the other two get this sort of hunted look when I start building up to something like that they're like oh god like, what's about coming. to happen <laughs> it's because like you get this tone this like cadence to your voice and I'm like oh god D- did you guys perhaps see it coming I hate it uh. I hate it Freya tell me about tell me about a a website which we should have used for at least 15 tent poles already Oglyph the best webcomic of all time. The best webcomic. Ah, uh, yes, Oglaf, the amazing, extremely not safe for work sexy <laughs> webcomic, which is, I would call it absurd, absurdist sex comedy. Yes. yes. Is more or less the genre. With necromancy. With and necromancy. it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's very much a fantasy comic of just ridiculousness. But they have a great... A great strip uh, about whether mermaid is a gendered term and mm. whether what you should call, if you are a male mermaid, what you should be called. And they hold up a big sign that just says sea sluts. Yeah, <laughs> sea sluts. And, then, and someone there is saying, it's mermaids, male mermaids. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how much sluttier we can be. <laughs> we have to try. We, can't we have to try up. harder. Well, this try is like, harder so we get. I was trying ages back when we were proposing this episode to find us a good fanfic tentpole, and I was sulking because I kept searching for mermaid on AO3 and getting zilch, um, particularly mm. in the canonical tags. And then I realized, oh, the canonical tag on AO3 is alternate universe dash mer people, mm. because ah, okay. because AO3 is classier than us. I guess <laughs> that's true because I don't think I've read much in the way of fix, but I see, I see a lot of fan art, especially in the heyday of Tumblr. There was a lot mm. of fan art of characters as mermaids. Usually, like one half of the pairing would be the mermaid, and the other one would yeah. be the human. But it uh, is—it's yeah. like I guess like having a long, beautifully coloured, jewelled, possibly frilly bottom half is not seen mm-hmm. as masculine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to make sure that the scribes link to Diamonds of the Sea slash dot com slash collections slash merman Christmas ornaments. Amazing. There is an amazing selection of <laughs> Christmas ornaments, which are very clearly aimed at the gay community. But there's like Craw Daddy Merman. Truly incredible. Tight End Merman, who has gridiron shoulder pads. Sticky Buns Merman, who has, you know. This is exquisite. Buns. I love this. <laughs> Have you seen this website? I haven't. I'm like, I haven't. What you is- could cover your entire Christmas tree in like steampunk merman, leather pride merman. Like, I have just, to tell you. It's that amazing. They are all incredible. You made me Google bad dragon mermaid. 
Oh, no. did you have any doubt? Did you have some doubt that Bad Dragon would have Merman dildos? They have Bad Dragon... Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, what do they have? Bad Dragon Men Mermaid Egg Manual Licking Vibrator Manual oh, Thank you for reading it all out loud, Macy. Pussy Oral Sucking Vibrating Adult Sex Toys Women, comma, Random Color. Okay. Comma, <laughs> Random Color. <laughs> And I will tell you, it is a truly horrifying object. I'm going to link it in our show notes. You um, realize that the scribes are also going to have to link that now, Macy. <laughs> what have you done? I'm linking it so they don't have to Google it. Um, it's horrifying. It's I, I no okay, no kink shaming. It's not horrifying. It is just no a no. unsurprising. Sometimes people just want to fuck. Yeah, yeah and that all is fine. We accept that. I was just somewhat shocked. It's perhaps startling. When we you're are not going to need it. to give a much more like strenuous NSFW warning than usual for God. this episode. We have like a couple <sighs> minutes left, so can we circle all the way back? Like, can we just bring it full circle back to fuck the sea and like have my discussion? Okay. My discussion question. <laughs> yes, good. Well, we didn't even talk about tentacles and sea fucking. We no, didn't. Like, you have to make a logistics question. You didn't even get us to talk about like peak femdom Ursula. No. Now it's Alex. No, we didn't. We didn't talk about that. We're just gonna have to do a whole other. You know what? I think we actually could have a whole separate episode worth of content about tentacle fucking. Anyway, um, (laughs) discussion question, which I came up with. Wait, what? You need to say this word though, because you put it down. I didn't put it down. I I put that down. Okay, that was me. Freya. And then we can move on. Freya created dot point. So you want to fuck a mermaid? Sub dot point. Who wants to be the first to bring up the word cloaca? Nobody. Anyway, we're done now. Because if you are going to make a decision about fucking a mermaid, you've got to work out how the biology and the anatomy makes it possible. I just, mm, just it's fine. All right, we're going Alex. to my discussion question now, and then we're going to be done with the episode. We need to exercise this entire podcast, Alex. Please, that's take what this I'm away. doing. All right. So as I was reading into the drowning deep and thinking about how much I don't ever, ever, ever want to be in a submarine. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I started thinking about other inhospitable environments besides the sea. And I propose a discussion question to you, dear serpents, uh, and also to you, dear listeners. If you would like to pitch in your opinion on this, please let us know on Twitter or wherever. We'll do a Twitter poll. So, discussion question. Would you rather be in a submarine and go really, really, really deep into the ocean or go on a spaceship into space? Uh, Neither. But yeah. well, mm. yes, neither. neither. But if you had to do one, I would rather be on a spaceship. I think probably yes in our current. But I'm thinking also like scenario, like the world is over. The world has died. Do you want to live in a bubble city on the bottom of the ocean? Or do you want to live on a space station? Space, space station. I'm actually mildly on the bubble city if it's not too mm. deep. Well, see, for me, most of the fear of getting going up to a space station is just the current level of technology and mm, yeah. the, the likelihood mm-hmm. that you will explode when you're trying to yep. take off. Yep. If we have safe space technology. <laughs> yeah. For me, it comes down to, okay, what if something goes wrong and I have to die horribly? I think I would rather die suffocating in space rather than drowning. That's fair. That's fair. That's drowning is morbid, bad. But fair. Drowning is bad. Drowning is very bad. I'm like fucking terrified we discovered of drowning. that. We discourage that, yeah. I mean, also we discourage drowning, like suffocating in the blackness of space. But 
whatever one of those we is feel more... you are darling listeners we feel less concerned about the likelihood of that happening so just don't do either and we'll still be friends and you can't fuck space really good night dear listeners i'm going to forcibly end this terrible episode fuck the sea in conclusion this is a great episode it was actually a great episode but in conclusion can we all unanimously say on three one two three fuck, fuck the, the sea, sea. Hello everyone, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be The Serpent, our podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Look, Tiny Freya had some pretty strong feelings about mermaids. The Disney film of The Little Mermaid came out when I was three years old, so I was in the perfect demographic to grow up with all the songs from the soundtrack etched into my mind. And then the straight-to-video sequel came out when my sister was of the age to watch it, and I was of the age to pretend I was only watching it with her. I also remember asking my mother to make me a silver mermaid tail so that I could go as a mermaid to a pirate-themed birthday party, because clearly I hadn't yet realised how much fun being an actual pirate was. It is a little weird how deeply mermaids have become ingrained in children's culture, for a legend that almost certainly started somewhere in the how can I fuck the sea, and or the sea is fucking terrifying, parts of the human psyche. But, you know, sparkly tales. So, for the next episode... Two weeks hence, on December 2nd, yes it is almost December, I personally am impatient to break out my gin advent calendar, we'll be diving into a discussion of the most chaotically flirty D&D class, bards. Poets, musicians, performers, yes there will be a taxonomy. So if you've got any friends whose one move is to roll to seduce the monster, maybe give them a heads up. And if you'd like to study the sheet music in advance, one of our tent poles will be a classic from our childhoods as baby specfic readers. Dragon Singer, Harper of Pern by Anne McCaffrey. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? As ever, you can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com, and we're at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or you can come and join the fan Discord community, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. And if you are enjoying the podcast and would like to support us further, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash serpentcast. Or do please consider leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes so we can continue to reach new listeners. And by the way, we're very glad to be part of your world.